0: Welcome to Sassy Talks and on today's programme we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr Romaine She is a clinical psychiatrist and a research fellow at King's College London with the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology and Neuroscience and she's going to be talking to us today about how we can clean up our cyber hygiene. Well we're going to find out today a bit more information about that and how we can have a better relationship with technology. So Dr. Romain, thank you so much for being on Sassy Talks today. Thanks, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Very welcome. <laughs> so let's dive into your research. Tell us specifically about what you're researching and why it's so important. Um, well, yeah, I've got a
1: particular kind of area of interest, which is our relationships with technology, in in what in a whatever way that may be. Um, so, as part of my job as a psychiatrist, um, I was part of setting up. The Digital Special Interest Group for the Royal College of Psychiatrists. So it's a place where we try to collate all the current research going on, whether it's positive or negative, uh, around technology and mental health. Being in the time that we're in today and seeing day to day people coming and talk to you about their relationships with technology, like, oh, maybe I think I'm spending too much time on my telephone, or I also work at the National Centre for Gaming Disorder, which is the closest thing we have in the NHS to kind of managing people that are struggling with a technology and in this case being internet gaming um so it's an area that i've always been very interested in and so i wanted to collate lots of information in this area and as as my day job i do research in mood uh, specifically so thinking about depression um and how people are suffering and how we can help people with that and i think there's definitely an overlap and an interlink there so um my aim is to really try to empower people to understand how technology may be affecting them, positively or negatively, and make sure that they're having a relationship with technology that they want, that serves them.
0: Okay. So talk to us about the link then. You mentioned mood, depression, and technology.
1: So there are certain things that you see when you work in mental health, like people who suffer with things like depression, um, difficulties with day-to-day activities such as sleeping or exercise for example and then we're seeing certain overlaps so for example there was a study done might have come out this year or at the end of last year at king's where they looked at about a thousand over a thousand students and their smartphone they used a validated tool and a third of those people said that they were addicted to their smartphones and of those people Over 60% of them had problems sleeping. And I think there's kind of overlaps when technology is affecting our kind of fundamental things like sleep or diet or exercise that they can then have a negative impact on our mental health.
0: Sleep is such an important one, and we did a program specifically on sleep and how if your sleep is out of kilter, then your whole life really is. So, is this because when you relate it back to technology, is it specific to being on, for example, social media before going to bed, or is it impacting your sleep regardless of when you're using your phone? But it's more about the amount of time. So, I think in that study, they were saying it wasn't about the amount of time it was about
1: the time you use it so those who ended up using it um you know at 1 in the morning had shown a sort of loss of control in a sense if you're still using it at 1 in the morning when you probably planned to be asleep and when i'm thinking of you know how i examine some of the young people i see who have difficulties with gaming it's often that sort of loss of control that preoccupation with needing to be on the internet needing to be on the computer that leads to those negative effects so The compulsion to constantly use something instead of sleep or to game instead of doing your homework or to go downstairs for dinner or to go on a family walk can have knock-on consequences. There's also the kind of content that we're looking at and how that affects you personally. So, for example, if the first thing you do in the morning when your alarm goes off is see an Instagram notification and start scrolling, I heard someone say, that's like letting 100 people into your bedroom before you've even sort of woken up you know we're not used to seeing 100 faces before we've even left our house and if you look at some of those 100 faces and you perceive them to be doing better than you so maybe they're on a yacht in the south of France
0: uh while you're stuck like at most home. people on social media I mean we've all got <laughs> yeah, yachts yeah,
1: exactly or maybe you know maybe they're doing the job that you wish you were doing for example whatever it may be you know that can lead to feelings of envy or or can affect your self-esteem before you've even left your bedroom in the morning. I mean,
0: is there a way we can detach emotionally from those images? Because ultimately, we are not going to be seeing the back of social media anytime soon. So we will be having a constant reminder of how well other people are doing in the example that you've given. Is there a way that we can detach from that?
1: I don't know if there's a way we can necessarily detach. But Sometimes I've talked about this idea of almost taking like a technology inventory. So if you are following certain accounts, so, you know, I might want to follow a fitness blogger because I want some encouragement and how I do a burpee properly. I really don't want that, actually. (laughs) but You know, if that serves me and encourages me like, oh, I see this person working out, I'm going to go work out in a bit. That could be really great. But if I am actually following loads of fitness accounts and I'm just seeing women that I perceive to be healthier than me or more attractive in some way, then that might not be serving me. So I think it's thinking about your values, why you're using that platform and almost like going through each person you see. And if you think there's negative feelings there for whatever reason, I would say unfollow that account because it's not helping you. I find myself watching some odd dance or something and I'm thinking, how have I ended up in this scenario? They thought that because we're so used to scrolling on Instagram while checking an email, while watching Netflix and being on multiple screens, that we might be better at like task switching, so going between different tasks. And then when they did research, like getting people to do different tasks after they'd been using different forms of media, that we were actually worse at doing those tasks.
0: So let's talk about it cyber hygiene. What is it all about? I mean, we thought we only needed to worry about having our hands sanitized X amount of times a day, was the only hygiene we needed to focus on right now. But this is clearly as important, right?
1: Yeah. So, cyber hygiene was actually originally a term that's probably more commonly used to think about how people uh, maintain the software of their computers and keep their computers safe and things like that. And I I kind of want to subvert that term and think about it as um, our own self care, our own personal online digital hygiene techniques that we can do to make sure that technology is not affecting our sleep is not affecting our self-esteem is not affecting our ability to do work for me cyber hygiene isn't about abstinence like you would do with other sort of um when you're having a problem with with something else you might say okay i'm just not going to use it i'm not just going to go there I, i won't eat or drink that thing We can't do that in the 21st century. We have to be on the internet. We have to work via the internet. And um, in a pandemic, for example, it's been something that's been so helpful to help people in isolation. It's been absolutely life-saving for people. Um, But there are things that we can do. So on our mobile phone, for example, when you pick it up, there'll often be lots of red notifications. They're red on purpose um, (laughs) because that's kind of like They use psychologists and things like that to show us what we will be alerted to. So it's kind of like danger, we must look. Um, We get lots of sorts of false urgencies that we must respond or we must reply to things. So I always say to turn off all the like red receipts on your messages, for example, because you might have just looked at a message and gone in your car to drive. um, And now the other person is thinking, why haven't they replied to me? Or you're thinking, I must reply to that message, they can see I've read it. Um, And it's rare that you really need to reply to a message within like 20 seconds, which is what we do. We have email notifications and everybody I know replies to their emails in 30 seconds and that's, it's not normal. (laughs) If you want to be in a state of like flow or concentration, having random notifications uh, break that train of thought is, is, is very important.
0: That's a, that's a great example in terms of in the workplace. How would one put a, a, a process like that into place when the culture in a workplace may, may be completely different and, it, and, and demand that you respond to things almost instantaneously, especially if you work in broadcast and the media and, the, and news and everything is changing so rapidly, you are literally on the go all the time. How feasible is it?
1: If I see something 11pm I'm not going to respond to it and it's just going to stress me and I'm probably not going to sleep well um, and I need to be able to process things and think about things clearly and I can't do that with constant bombarding notifications so I think having some very strict boundaries is actually very important and you'll probably respond better concentrate better on what you've read produce better work overall and I think technology does have the ability to affect, you know, the kind of neurotransmitters in our brain. Yeah. So there's a really good paper by a guy called Jeremy Balinson, I think he's one of the Stanford researchers, and he proposed a number of reasons why we get Zoom fatigue. So why we feel so tired at the end of the day of, of Zooms, even though we might have just been sitting down, <laughs> you know, the whole time. Um, and he said there was there was a few reasons why. One of them he proposed was what he called increased cognitive load. So you have to work a bit harder to concentrate um, when you're on a Zoom meeting because you don't have the usual non-verbal cues that we're used to having. So sometimes you can tell when somebody's uh, had enough or, or they want to say something, but that's very difficult on Zoom. So you're kind of putting more energy trying to look at everybody on the call and work out what's going on. Another thing he said was about this sort of constant eye gaze. So you're constantly looking at me, um, depending where the screen is. You're actually sat quite a nice distance today, but sometimes people can be right in your face. Thank
0: you. Constantly looking at you. And, Nothing um, left to chance around here. Nothing left to chance. <laughs>
1: that, that can actually um, affect you in a negative way because, again, you're, you're, you almost have some of the, the stress hormones that you get. Um, because if you imagine giving a, a talk in a, a, a meeting room or in a lecture theater And imagine everybody was just staring at you. That's not normal. You know, usually someone's looking at their phone or someone's writing a note. It's not constant eye gaze. So that can be quite overwhelming. Another thing is is the fact you're not moving. And not only not moving, we sometimes hold a very awkward position because we want to be in the center of the camera, um, aligned properly. And so you might spend the whole of your day sitting in a very awkward position where had we been in real life, I might be, you know, sitting on my chair in a different way and Uh, stretching (laughs) and you don't do that on a zoom call because it it brings too much attention if you're moving you need to not make zoom calls an hour long you need to leave breaks in between your calls you need to say sorry i have to go to the bathroom and not take the computer with you (laughs) you know things you would do in the real world need to translate while you're on online
0: Well, that's a really good point burnout very quickly what where where are we with burnout in tech I've thought of this sort of digital
1: burnout being a phenomenon of of what I like to call being hyper connected. So we are almost connected potentially to everybody else and to all information at all times, which can be really overwhelming. Um, You know, you're constantly available. um, Even when you're relaxing and watching Netflix, you might be WhatsApping on your phone or doing something else. Um, And I think that's why it's really important when we're thinking about cyber hygiene to have parts of your home life which are tech free. So whether that be your bedroom, the phone just doesn't go in there, for example, or, um, you know, using more analog things like using an actual watch instead of picking up a phone and getting bombarded
0: with notifications. I would love to have a summary of the key takeaways for cyber hygiene and how even people like me can improve my cyber hygiene so it doesn't doesn't just become a day of working and updating people and then that's a day done because then you really don't have time for hobbies or anything at all but that is still important to do yeah okay so yeah just kind of like summarizing I would
1: say number one is take that sort of tech inventory think about all the technology that you use from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep and whether it's serving you or not so for me I've got a Twitter, but to be honest, I don't look at it and I don't have notifications because actually I find it more stressful than helpful. Some people love it because you get um, access to research papers before anybody else and and things like that. So, you know, it's about whether something serves you or not, whether it's aligned with your values. And that can come down to the the details. So even which Instagram accounts you follow, do they make you feel good? Do they make you feel bad? Um, And remove or follow uh, accordingly um, and then very importantly break any hooked loops you're in so any notifications you have that you can't stop yourself looking at um, can you stop those notifications on your phone take your phone off vibrate remove any false senses of urgency so take off any um red receipts if you think that's not actually helping you for example think about as many analog things you can do whether that's an alarm that's not on your phone, or a watch to stop you looking at your phone. Think about offline areas of your life. So we just said, nurturing any hobbies that you have, connecting with nature, um, just picking up the actual phone and having a chat to your friend for half an hour instead of WhatsApping throughout the whole evening and it feeling like work. Um, Put really firm boundaries in. So try, if you can, to think about your company culture, Can you stop replying at 5 p.m.? Are there, you know, sometimes I don't mind replying to WhatsApp if I'm just watching Netflix and it's my downtime. It all becomes part of my downtime and that's fine. But it shouldn't be interfering with my ability to, to do my day job, for example. And I guess another thing is if, you know, we have been talking about maybe digital burnout or technology affecting our sleep or perhaps even feeling like we're addicted to technology. And if that is the case... Make sure you get help if you think you need it.
0: Thank you so much indeed for your tips and suggestions, um, Dr. Romain. And it's been a real pleasure having you on Sassy Talk.